Good morning and welcome to True Talk. This is your host, Samar Jarrah. My co-host, Ahmed, is still on vacation, enjoying the summer. Stay with us. Today, we have two segments. The first one, I'm going to be talking to uh, Imam Abdullah Jabir about a very interesting uh, thing happening with the Florida schools. Um, there is a, an attempt to use uh, some Islamophobic content in our school system. So he will be talking about it. And the second part of this show, we're going to be talking uh, with Arwa Muqdad. Uh, she's in uh, the U.S. at the moment. She was in Yemen and she was uh, trying to help uh, cancer patients in Yemen to leave Yemen. But there is an embargo, although the Biden administration says that they have eased the embargo. But it seems not enough to send all these cancer patients and dialysis patients uh, to countries other than Jordan where they can go to. So interesting show. Uh, Stay with us. This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM.
Welcome back to True Talk. Uh, as uh, promised, I have on the phone with me uh, Imam Abdullah uh, Jabir, uh, who is talking to us here uh, locally from uh, Tampa. And he is uh, executive director of the organization uh, known as CARE. Good morning, Imam. Good morning. Thank Good. you so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure, Imam. Before we start, I would like them to. Uh, I would like you to explain two things. First of all, what does CARE stand for, uh, and uh, like give us a very um, uh, brief about the organization, uh, the issues that you deal with, and then I'm going to ask you to explain what is the meaning of Imam. Sure, no problem. I appreciate it. those are very good questions. So CARE is the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Uh, this is the largest Muslim civil rights and advocacy organization in the nation. Uh, and the CARE Florida chapter is the state chapter of this national organization. We have multiple offices across the state, and we're serving more than half a million Muslims who will call Florida home. Uh, many of them are children, you know, which will be the topic of the conversation today, hopefully. So um, CARE is, again, civil rights advocacy. You know, we work with the systems that surround all of us, uh, whether that's the government, education, um, whether that's uh, the public sector, private sector, uh, healthcare, law enforcement, media. We work with every system that surrounds us. We want to make sure that there is true representation of Islam and Muslims, as well as there is fair treatment and then Muslims have equal access as well as everyone else in this beautiful nation of ours, that everyone has equal access, equal opportunities to everything without facing discrimination. Um, that's what we do in a nutshell. As for the second question as Imam, Imam is a, I would say an honorary title, uh, as some may be familiar with a priest or a rabbi or father, imam is a religious title given to someone who may ha have led a congregation or may be in a position of uh, religious authority, I should say. So more of a religious doctor, uh, if that makes sense. So you are an authority. So if you, I ask you now uh, questions, because they're going to come in a few minutes, uh, you are qualified uh, as, a, as, a, as a person with a religious education to answer them. And that's the meaning of uh, imam. It's important to explain these things uh, because you come from a background of authority. You're not just like me, who happens to be a Muslim, well-read, but I do not have the formal education of being an uh, imam. So... Uh, Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Imam Abdullah, uh, something is happening with the school uh, system here in Florida. I know there is so much discussion about it, but it was very, really interesting to read that there is an attempt to uh, play and use material by something called uh, Prager uh, U. So it sounds like U is for a university. And if you Google it, you think, wow, it's a Prager University. What's wrong with using content um, from a university in the school system? However, uh, CARE and your office has uh, stressed that it's Islamophobic and it's not actually uh, a university. So 
I know it's a lot here to talk about, but how how were you uh, alerted to the idea that the Florida school system might be using content that you deem Islamophobic? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, you said something, there seems to be something happening in the school system. And I want, you know, the listeners to know, and most of you are aware of our history. The school ground has been the, a forefront of for the battle for the rights of minorities, the battle for against segregation, um, you know, so against discrimination. There has always been issues, and unfortunately, we're kind of seeing a glimpse of it yet again. So when it comes to PragerU, um, yes, the U doesn't, it, it, although it stands for university, I think this is maybe one of the uh, fundamental challenges in this whole conversation is it's misleading. Uh, PragerU uses the term university in its name to imply, I mean, imagine if you read that or you came across, you you know, you would maybe not second question that. Uh, you'd maybe take at face value that that's academically credible, but it's not. So it does not have, uh, it's not an educational institution. Um, this misleading representation gives the false impression that their content is factually correct and, correct and maybe even expert-driven, but unfortunately it is not. It is essentially a, uh, a page that um, puts together material uh, for, you know, for spreading certain type of uh, content. I'll come to that later. Uh, but the material is not equivalent to an accredited university's curriculum. Um, how we were alerted, it became uh, knowledge once the Florida Board of Education made this public, we were alerted. And although we have seen in the past um, comments by PragerU, their leadership, people that they have given the platform to speak, make outlandish comments. And I think the most outlandish for our listeners to really understand was saying that the U.S. Constitution should be amended to allow people to discriminate against Islam and Muslims. And I want to say this, and I hope I'll come back to it again, and I mm -hmm. hope you don't get tired of me saying this. Historically speaking, factually speaking, not you speaking, there has never been an America, there has never been an United States of America without Islam and Muslims at its shore. If I could, you know, if you look at the academic, if you look at history, at least, if we are to be more conservative with our numbers, at least one-third of the slaves brought here through the transatlantic slave trade, in which Florida played a great role, unfortunately, were Muslims. So there has never been an America without Muslims and Islam to the shore. So to again see, you know, centuries later, that we're making yet again something part of our education system, supplemental or not, something that's not accredited, something that stereotypes Muslims and Islam and dilutes the his history. This is a crucial challenge for us. So uh, have they actually, have you contacted the school or the board or whoever is responsible uh, for agreeing to showing these uh, uh, like I know they do videos like five minutes and two minutes, you know, lots of uh, animation. Uh, I'm not sure uh, the the school, uh, like are the, what the age of the school students. 
have you contacted them and uh, like was there any conversation any meetings do you know exactly what the what material they're going to using are they going to use the videos because i looked <laughs> yesterday at one a few samples and um, you know they they have things actually in hebrew in arabic in english in chinese in different uh, in spanish and not all of it of course related to the arab world or to the muslims but uh, Many of it is conservative uh, politics, but maybe later we will talk about who Prager, Prager is. But have you contacted the school board uh, in Tampa or in Tallahassee and had a conversation with them? Yeah, so, you know, it's important to keep in mind that this is kind of developing. This was just recently made public that the Florida Board of Education uh, approved this PragerU as a supplemental resource uh, for educators in in secondary schools. So right now we're in this awareness and education phase where we're trying to tell our community. And when I say our community, I'm not only talking about the Muslim community. There are other other groups, other civil rights community organizations, and more of different backgrounds of different mission and vision that are. are who are also concerned about the same issue, that why are we introducing a um, very controversial um, uh, controversial entity into the education system? PragerU, uh, you know, it, it, it has been criticized for spreading not only anti-Muslim rhetoric and conspiracy theories in their videos and in their contents that are already available online, uh, but as well as anti-immigrant, anti-black, anti-minority. Um, so there is a plethora of issues that are there. Now, with regards to what the the content is, we don't have access to the content right now mm-hmm. uh, because, again, it, it, it has been just recently been approved. Okay. Our goal right now is to educate, build awareness, and then we've already asked the Florida Department of Education to, you know, not have any relationships. I mean, that, that is our main ask. Um, that the Florida Department of Education breaks any relationship with the PragerU, which is, again, not an educational institution, and it is known for its Islamophobic um, or or anti-minority, anti-American, uh, really, uh, stances. So beyond that, we are still working with, we're going to be working with uh, local coalition partners as well as statewide partners to push back on this. Okay, uh, let me just remind our listeners, I am talking with Imam Abdullah Jabir, who is Chief Executive Director of Council on American Islamic Relations in Florida. And we are discussing uh, a, a school system might be using material from Prager U. Who are they? Like what, what? It's not a university, although they use the U to to claim that they are a university uh, to give them maybe legitimacy. But like, who is behind them? When was it founded? What what is PragerU? Yeah, I think you know this is what most people may not ever question because they you know I might see that it says uh, it says. Prager, U, and the U stands for university, supposedly. So I may not question. So this is very important, and I guess this, you know, this is another point for us to keep in mind. As parents and as as citizens, we should be very concerned about what's being taught to our children. 
education is a foundation of our children, and education demands integrity. So when an institution, or I should say an entity, parades itself, embellishes itself as a university, but it's not, that should say something. So, I mean, the, the, the man behind the plan, I guess, would be Mr. Dennis Prager, and he is known to I me. Mean, if you look him up, it's not what I'm saying. If you look yeah. up what the world is saying, he is known to be a conservative uh, radio talk show host and a writer and a speaker. And um, he has, I believe he's had a show, the Dennis Prager Show, um, and he co-founded PragerU, uh, which primarily you know, creates short videos uh, for a specific uh, audience. Um, and this is, this is kind of you know, the, the person, this is the person um, behind the veil, I guess. And you know, what we know of him is that he began his uh, career as a political activist. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a spokesperson for um, different groups. Um, he also served as a consultant to the Reagan administration. Um, and if we fast forward, you know, there's a lot of controversy, controversy, controversy around him, especially from uh, topics of religion, of politics, of social issues. He's been criticized by many uh, for for his uh, for his unpatriotic, un-American, unconstitutional comments and stances. Um, for us, I think the, the main issue today stands that PragerU has been uh, approved as a supplemental resource for the Florida education system, and that's our main problem because he is an individual, as I said early on, who has made outlandish comments such as that American Constitution should be amended. I mean, think about that. Usually yeah. we're talking about amendments. We're talking about amending to give people more rights, to make our nation a better place as it is. He's saying you should amend the American Constitution to to be able to discriminate against Muslims. But the, as you mentioned, uh, Imam, but they are really conservative and do not cover only uh, Muslim issues. So I'm very happy that CARE is coordinating, uh, coordinating with other minorities. For instance, they, I saw yesterday they use Candace Owens uh, and um, they translate her show to uh, Spanish and to other languages. And, uh, you know, I mean, she touches mostly on race issues and African-Americans and uh, claims no discrimination. So it's really very dangerous. But I really want to uh, also mention, for instance, they use Dinesh D'Souza, uh, Charlie Kirk, Ben Shapiro, and all of them have said uh, terrible things, not only about Arabs and Muslims, but really other minorities. But we're talking about billions of views. They have uh, 888 uh, videos that they have produced. Now, I think uh, CARE has released, uh, I think, a study by Bridges, uh, uh, which is a Georgetown University uh, initiative. For instance, I'm going to mention, Imam, some of these uh, titles, and maybe you can explain to me if they are dangerous or not. But one of these, for instance, videos that they use, one is called The Dangers of Islamism. One is called, Are Some Cultures Better Than Others? One is called, How is Muslim Immigration to Sweden Working Out? 
where are the moderate Muslims, radical Islam, the most dangerous ideology? And they use, for instance, people like Ayan Hirsi Ali, who claims that she was a Muslim at one day, but she's calls herself an infidel or wrote a book, an infidel. So, and then they use other people who have uh, like uh, abandoned uh, Islam Or we don't look at them as an authority the way, for instance, I would come to you, Imam Abdullah, if I need a question and a clarification about Islamic law in any problem I have, you have the legitimacy and you have the credibility and you have the education. You memorize the Quran and you can tell me from the text if... uh, I want to divorce my husband, for instance, what I can ask for as alimony from a religious point of view other than what the law gives me. So these people they are using have no legitimacy. So how do you feel about being an imam, but being also an American and knowing that your kids might be watching these documentaries with these titles? Yeah, I mean, that's the core of the issue. And again, you know, there are a plethora of issues of Prager U not only promoting uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric, but anti-American. I mean, what makes us American? Immigration makes us American. Um, what makes us American? It's the the tapestry of our nation and it is diversity that makes us uh, who we are. Spreading anti-Muslim rhetoric is unpatriotic. Why? Because as I said early on, There has never been an America. You cannot prove it factually. You can dream of it, but there, you can't prove it. There has never been an America without Islam and Muslims at its shore. So, you know, Muslims are not here post 9-11. Muslims have been here for centuries. And um, there are academic studies that would argue even before the arrival, uh, before the colonies, before Columbus. But I don't want to get into that. Mm-hmm. But Prager has been criticized by not only Muslims, it has been criticized by, uh, you know, authorities and individuals and institutions from the Jewish community and the Christian community for spreading anti-Muslim rhetoric and conspiracy theories that are just outlandish in their videos. And they promote stereotypes, and I'm not going to repeat the names of the individuals that you mentioned, but that's a specific ilk of people. And I'm, what I'm saying is, Regardless of your affiliation, forget conservative, liberal, whatever, do you not agree that education is the foundation upon which we build the future of our children? Do we not agree as parents, as citizens, as people, that we want our children to learn from sources that come from, that, that you know, education comes from an integral or something that's committed to truth? Um, something that is unbiased, and it provides our children an opportunity to learn truth, to learn unbiased uh, history. That is not the approach of PragerU. Again, they're an, an, an accredited educational institution. Uh, and yes, they push a very heavy conservative ideological slant in, in the educational landscape. And why this is so dangerous Because this is affecting young minds. So when you go demonizing Muslims mm-hmm. and you demonize immigrants through your videos, you're, gener- you're making very broad generalizations about these people. You're perpetuating dangerous tropes about entire faith, entire cultural group. How is this different than how 
you know, neo-Nazis did, did the same. In, in history, teaches us that the neo-Nazis, for example, use this very similar, uh, uh, similar tactics to, to really have this totalitarian regime um, that used textbooks to influence the beliefs and values of young, impressionable children. And the lessons of Nazi Germany and, the, and even the Soviet Union should teach us that education can be, has been, will be weaponized if we're not alert to stifle critical thinking of our children, to suppress diverse perspectives. Look, I admit, the, nation of, the, the, the history of our nation is very complex, but that's why even more so we should pay attention to it. We should learn it. That way our children learn from the past and, 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 and are able to build a better future. Demonizing people doesn't get them that. Manipulating facts doesn't get them that. And that's what we're seeing. I'm going to play only one minute of one of these uh, videos and give you a chance uh, to uh, like evaluate it and tell our listeners if we are like, uh, like, should we be alarmed or not? Uh, this is again, I have to mention that this is a very conservative, um, Islamophobic uh, production. And uh, I do not uh, agree with anything that you're going to be listening to. But we have the imam who has the qualification uh, to answer uh, to this uh, propaganda. So let's uh, listen. This is from there. Where are the moderate Muslims? And percentages are to be found even among Muslim communities in the West. So too, most of the world's Muslims believe that any acts of violence against Israel including suicide bombers in buses and restaurants, are justified. Now, does any of this sound moderate to you? Yet, if anyone raises these inconvenient truths here in the West, he is sure to be called an Islamophobe, a hater of Islam. Again, my own story is instructive. 74% in the Middle East and North Africa, and 64% in Sub-Saharan Africa support Sharia, as the law of the land. Less drastic yet significant percentages are to be found even among Muslim communities in the West. Okay, I think I missed the cue because he was saying, for instance, the Muslims believe that they should uh, kill uh, a Muslim if uh, he or she leaves the religion. Uh, he also uh, talks about, uh, for instance, Sharia law, as if Sharia law is only about... Uh, punishment, like he mentions uh, most Muslims, even those in the West, they believe that uh, it is okay uh, to cut the hand of uh, somebody who steals. Um, is this true uh, of Sharia? Or, and what is Sharia that he says that he is scaring these uh, kids from? Uh, and uh, I mean, I follow Sharia every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the United States has more Sharia in its constitution than most Muslim countries. <laughs> so, so it, it, it's, you know, people don't realize that. Again, that's why, you know, ideas that are being sold out there, it's very important for us to question, right? I mean, as I said, there has never been an America without a Muslim Muslims. What does that say to you? You know, what does it say that when we say there's over a billion Muslims in the world? Uh, what does it say that when I say there's over half a million Muslims in, in Florida that are contributing to the economy, to every 
every sector, in the billions, and are serving people, are Americans and serving America. So when we talk about Sharia, whether it's the, you know, in, in the uh, Jewish tradition, it's the halakha, in the, the, in the Islamic tradition, it's the Sharia. And it means a, a place of drinking, a place of uh, drinking in the sense, a place of a, a watering hole mm-hmm. where someone goes and they, they're able to quench their thirst. They're able to satiate themselves. But beyond that, the, the commonly understood term is Sharia is religious Islamic law. Majority of that law is dealing with how I talk with my children, how I behave with my with my neighbor. So if I say hi to my neighbor, I'm following Sharia law. If I come to work on time and do really good work, I'm following Sharia law. Care Florida, as a civil rights organization who serves Muslims and non-Muslims, as we serve, that's Sharia law. If I go to a local mosque and pray, that's Sharia law. If I go to a church and sit down with them to build a relationship, that's Sharia law. If I sit with my neighbors who are of no faith and sit with them, that's Sharia law. If I sit with my conservative friends and liberal friends and non-affiliated friends and I speak with them, that's Sharia law. So, yes, they use this ploy and tactic to ban Sharia, not understanding what it actually is. And the fact that in many ways there are more Sharia principles implemented in the United States than elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I think, Imam, I know you have to go and I have to go and wrap up. Uh, the only thing I think might contradict Sharia is the Fifth Amendment because we are supposed to tell the truth even if it's going to incriminate me or my uh, loved ones. Uh, don't you agree that with Sharia, there is a verse in the Quran that says we have to tell the truth uh, during uh, giving testimony? Is that true? Well, in a way, the Fifth Amendment you know, protects I guess, defendants from having to testify. Um, so in, in a way, it's where you choose not to speak. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, we say we plead the fifth not to answer. Um, I don't think it violates the Sharia uh, in a sense where you remain to, uh, remain to choose, you remain to choose, you choose to be silent, rather. You choose to be oh. silent. And when we talk about the Sharia laws being implemented, as we're talking about kind of the Fifth Amendment, Keep in mind that Sharia is not implemented necessarily by uh, as a as a government. It, mm-hmm. It's not implemented by vigilantes or individuals. It has to be gone through the actual administrative process of a government. So, in a sense, I, I can see there is some sort of, but I would say no. It doesn't necessarily go against um, because it's just you refraining from answering any questions that could be self-incriminating. I'm glad you clarified that, uh, Imam. Thank you so much, Imam uh, Abdullah Jabir, uh, Chief Executive Director of Council on American-Islamic Relations uh, in Florida. Thank you so much, Imam. We need to spend like hours talking to you uh, with all your knowledge. Thank you for being on True Talk. I really appreciate it you, you taking so the time. Thank you so much to you and... Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a blessed day. You too. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be uh, talking uh, to Arwa uh, Mqdadi or Mqdad uh, about a very important thing and development uh, in Yemen. Stay tuned. This is Omar Bashir and he's from Iraq and he's playing the oud. This is True Talk on WMNF.
And welcome back to True Talk. Uh, you were listening to this music by Omar Bashir. He is uh, Iraqi and he plays one of the best players of Oud. But uh, with me is Arwa Muqdad. And uh, Arwa was just in Yemen. She visited Yemen and uh, she is part of an organization called Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. Good morning, Arwa. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Uh, you're very courageous, uh, Arwa. Yani, I can't think of a young lady like you uh, going to a war zone and uh, be dealing with uh, mainly very, very difficult uh, issues. So as we say in Arabic, alhamdulillah, that you made it safely uh, here. How how are things in Yemen now? I know it's a very big question, but like from somebody who just left a war zone area, how are things in Yemen So I haven't been back to Yemen since 2014, since the war started due to the Saudi blockade closing the airport. So the minute the airport opened and I had a break from school, I was on the first flight possible. And I was stunned, to be honest. I was expecting, like you said, it's a war zone, right? We're still in a fragile semi-truth, not really truth. But Sama'a was decent, right? The markets were filled. People were walking around the streets. There was a certain level of safety that I truly wasn't expecting. Amazing. But uh, I think the healthcare system is not functioning very properly from what I was uh, reading uh, lately. Yes. Unfortunately, the healthcare system is not doing well in Yemen. This is partly due to the blockade, of course. So we're getting limited supplies of medicine, but also due to the war where hospitals were bombed by um, Gulf targets, which is quite... um, which is quite unfortunate, right? So we had MSF hospitals bombed in Yemen by the Saudis. So, okay. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, organization, Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation? What does it do? I know it's obvious from the title, but what what do they do exactly? So Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation, we have two main aims. One, of course, is direct aid on the ground in Yemen. So this mainly includes food baskets, to support families, but also orphan support, school supplies, really whatever we can do to help families. But then our other wing is based in the U.S., and that's really spreading awareness about the conflict and trying to push and advocate for the U.S. uh, to pull out of this conflict and stop arming the Saudis, stop supporting the Saudis. So the U.S. is still arming uh, Saudi Arabia and giving them, for instance, intelligence information or weapons or... It's still in support? Yes. The ab- U.S. is still in support of the Saudis. What about the embargo? Supposedly, uh, it was eased. And I, I was just reading an article saying that, I think the Nation magazine, saying that uh, the, the, air, the, 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 the embargo was lifted. And this is why there are flights uh, coming out of Yemen and going to, for instance, Jordan. So the... Blockade has been eased somewhat. So, for example, prior um, to this easement, the airport in Sana'a was completely closed, even though the majority of the population lives in the north, not the south. However, um, now they let us have three flights a week. But for a country of 30 million, three flights a week is not enough. When I was in Jordan, I met families who have been stuck there for months waiting for a ticket to get to Yemen. Wow. Jordan is very expensive. It's not a cheap... country how can they like survive and 
did you meet patients? Because also I was reading that um, there are maybe, what, 70,000 cancer patients? Yes. That's the other issue, of course. So Jordan is incredibly expensive for Yemenis. So even those who are able to get out, it's a very select few who can afford the ticket. For example, my ticket from London to Jordan cost around the same as my ticket from Jordan to Yemen. Wow. That's like a lot of money. Which the average Yemeni cannot afford. So what do they do in Amman? Who helps them? The people who are able to get out are usually wealthier. Mm -hmm. Of course, every now and then you get a couple of patients who got support and donors. So on my flight, there was around four who were getting medical treatment who were on support. Uh, the cat, as we call it in the Islamic world. Um, but, of course, for <laughs> out of all the people who need aid and cannot afford it, um, it, it's a very low number. And three flights a week is a very low number. Okay. And I also read that, uh, that there are, like, I'm not sure if your organization works on this or not, but they're trying to find a way to send them, like, to Egypt, which is much cheaper, even uh, not only for uh, living uh, expenses, but also for medical uh, care, or to India. Do you know about this? Uh, like, is there a way your organization can pressure the U.S. to allow other flights out of Yemen rather than just only to Jordan, but maybe to Egypt and uh, India? Like you noted, there's conversations about Egypt and India, which would be great destinations for Yemenis because it's a lot cheaper and they can afford better medical care there. Um, and like you said, my organization, along with many others, are trying to push the U.S. Uh, to lift the blockade. The issue, though, is that the U.S. is denying that there's a blockade. So do you know why? Like, why do they deny that there is a blockade if you just came out of there and you say there is a blockade? So the U.S., their number one partner in the Middle East is Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And they're standing by Saudi. And they're very anti-Houthi, who are the government in the north. So for them, this is a way to weaken the Houthis and support their partner. And since the blockade has been eased, they're saying that this is enough. But, for example, oil, only 40% of the oil required for Yemen is allowed to enter. This is below our needs by far. And even three flights a week, this has resulted in high prices where the majority of Yemen can't afford to travel. So the blockade's still firmly in place, and I truly hope that the U.S. starts saying so. What about food? Is food allowed uh, in the country? Uh, any medical supplies allowed in the country? Because I know many of the hospitals were damaged uh, th during the war. But what about like water, food, medication? Yeah, so we are currently having a blockade as well on medical supplies. Water and food, it's a bit easier, but it's still vastly below our needs as a country. That being said, Sana'a is one of the wealthier parts of Yemen. So you see the market filled a lot of the times from goods smuggled from the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Wow. How about, what's like the average income there? <laughs> right now, the majority of people are not getting their salaries. So government employees, for example, haven't been paid since 2015. How do they survive? That's the amazing thing about Yemenis. They're still going to work even without pay. So, for example, in Yemen, we don't really have traffic lights, but cops stand in the middle of the street in direct traffic. Um, and they come every day without a salary. Oh, my God. 
how, how do they like what do they eat how do they support their children is it like community life where people whoever has something to share they would share exactly so in yemen prior to the war we had a proverb no one dies of hunger it was truly a society where we share our resources and people still do but under the strain without salaries of course people can't be as generous as they used to be uh, does the un give any food baskets any food supplies any uh, any food because yemen Um, it's in a way a dry country. I mean, there was Yemen is Saeed and it was, um, there are many areas where you can cultivate, but there are many areas that are desert. Correct me if I'm wrong here. And I know that uh, because of the war, maybe the agriculture is not flourishing. So does the UN give them any uh, food baskets, any food supplies, or it's all dependent on zakah or Islamic charity? So the UN is involved in aid in Yemen, but no aid can support a country of 30 million. With the blockade, Yemen's economy cannot grow, and aid is not enough for us to survive. Like you noted, Yemen... Oh, please continue. Yeah, go ahead. Yemen's a very diverse country, so we do have deserts, but we also have really fertile lands. So Yemen has over 40 types of grapes. Uh, grapes, but unfortunately, throughout the war, the Saudi coalition has bombed farms and food factories. Wow. So, what can one do, like in the U.S.? Does your organization have lobbying uh, in the U.S.? Uh, do they talk to senators, uh, congressmen, and women? Uh, do they talk to the media? Yeah. So, Yemen Reconstruction Foundation, we do all of this work: lobbying, uh, media, of course. That's what I'm doing right now. And then reaching out to our politicians. And what we would ask, and this information is also on our website, YemenFoundation.org, is reach out to your congressmen, congresswomen, your representatives, and let them know that this is unacceptable. The U.S. should not be supporting a war that's created the largest humanitarian crisis in the world. Do you know how many people died in this war? So the numbers from deaths to bombing are very different due to starvation and uh, lack of health care, lack of vaccines. So the actual numbers right now are quite blurry. Mm-hmm. Let me just remind our listeners, we're talking to Arwa Muqdad. She is part of uh, a Yemen foundation.org. It's called YemenFoundation.org. If you want to see it on uh, uh, on um, on the net, Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. And she just visited uh, Yemen. If you have any questions, send them to dj at wmnf.org dj at wmnf.org we do have a person on the phone let me try arwa and get him or her good morning you're on true talk maybe not <laughs> uh, so uh, how long did you stay uh, in yemen and and is it safe i'm sure it is safe because you came back but um, and i don't know are you yemeni of origin are you originally yemeni so i am originally yemeni and what's interesting on yemen the safety really depends on the area so for example sanaa is quite safe i was able to move freely really didn't run into any issues in the city but places like aden you do have car bombings you have shootings uh, just a couple of days ago a man shot a woman who rejected him in marriage. Oh. So Aden is a bit more frightening, of course, and <laughs> traveling there is 
challenging from Sana'a. It's over a 16-hour drive. Uh, but within Sana'a, I was quite shocked by the stability and safety on the street. Amazing. You have family there? So my entire mom's side of the family lives in Sana'a. So I was staying with my grandfather. Um, and like I said, the blockade has hindered many Yemenis from going back. So by the time, after nine years of return, most of my cousins have had kids. The house has expanded. Wow. It was such a homecoming. Uh, so- a beautiful experience but also heartbreaking that I wasn't able to see my family for nine years due to a blockade. So how about education, schools, teachers? Because you mentioned, for instance, government employees don't get paid. Do Are, are schools open? Do students go to school? And again, uh, who's paying uh, for tuition if there is tuition? Or who's paying the salaries of teachers if they are paying the salaries? Like you noted a lot of officials are not, government officials are not going to be paid, and that includes teachers. So you're seeing a huge gap between public schools and private schools uh, where wealthier Yemenis are able to afford tuition and as such teachers can get paid. And due to the war and the financial burden, a lot of kids had to um, draw out of school. They can't afford the supplies or they have to start working on the street to make money. Wow. And uh, COVID, how did they manage uh, through uh, COVID? COVID was a challenging time in Yemen. Like you said, our health care system has been destroyed, mainly due to the blockade and bombings that specifically targeted hospitals. And we lost a lot of doctors, um, which is dangerous for a country facing the largest humanitarian crisis in the world. Wow. What about water supplies? Water supply in Yemen is also challenging. Uh, areas with water were bombed heavily as well. Anything that could be used, right, food, hospitals, water, these were bombed by the Saudi-led coalition. These are all war crimes that occurred in Yemen. Sana'a, luckily, it's more stable. It's the capital city. You're able to access water, uh, but not all areas of Yemen can stay the same. So, like, is there water in the homes uh, or they have to go somewhere? Because I am looking now at uh, your website and it says uh, you shipped 2,000 water filters, uh, and you're planning the organization to uh, distribute 3,500 water filters. So even if there is water from what I am reading, it doesn't mean it's safe? Exactly. So in Sana, for example, you can get water through the tap, but it's not drinkable, of course. What about diseases like cholera, Because these things do spread sometimes during wars. Do you know any idea if there is like cholera or? Yes, within Yemen, we had the largest cholera outbreak in the world. world. And this is, again, due to our healthcare systems not being taken care of, being bombed, due to water water supplies being bombed, due to a blockade where we're unable to bring in goods that would help access clean water. One of our biggest challenges at Yemen Relief and Deconstruction Foundation is we'll get amazing donations from our donors mm-hmm. uh, of items, right? Cancer oh. medicine, water filters, and it's very hard to bring it into the country due to the blockade. So you prefer money? Money helps a lot. Um, of course, we're grateful for all donations, but with money, we're able to transfer it and then buy local goods and support the lo- local economy. Okay. How much, like for instance... Like how much is a good donation, like a tiny donation, but a good donation that can go a long way in Yemen? Well, for example, 
$45 can support a family of six for a month. Oh my gosh, food? You mean food and... A food basket. $45, a family of six for one month. Makes a big difference. My God. What can $45 do besides that, for instance? Yeah, it's, especially it used to be 30 but with Ukraine and the war, food mm-hmm. prices and prices in general have gone up, but still $45 can really change a family's life. Oh my God. Is it cold in the winter? And Can it get cold? Like Because some people... May, you know, they're used to winter support, for instance, and giving jackets and stuff like that. Does it get cold uh, in Yemen? And I know there are mountains in Yemen, beautiful mountains and I beautiful homes. If people would Google, like, I don't know what you call it in English, if you can tell our listeners, but there are fascinating homes colored on top of mountains of, in Yemen. I'm not sure which area, but I have seen these pictures. So does it get cold? Yes. So, for example, Sana'a is 2,200 meters above sea level. So, like you noted, these mountainous areas do get cold because we're so high up. And what Yemenis love is to build on the top of the mountain. And we use natural and supplies from the area. So you can't tell where the mountain begins and where the home begins. Wow. So, um, How is, like, your Yemeni and the culture of Yemen, uh, what's, like, unique about it and the language? The language is Arabic, but I know you have a different dialect and accent. But what is unique about uh, Yemen? If you can tell us. For Yemen, I really love and will forever love the community. You walk around the street and you see people hugging. You see people, you'll see officers walking down the street holding hands. Where else in the world do you see two male police officers holding hands, right? So in Yemen, we really still have attached ourselves to the olden ways. When you walk in Sana'a, you feel like you're walking in a history book. What's the name of the area uh, where you have these homes on top of mountains and beautiful views? I don't know how people get there. Is it by walking or by animals or can cars go? What's the name of the area? So there's not one specific area throughout Yemen in that mountainous areas. You'll find houses on the top of mountains. Even in Sana'a, you see homes uh, on the top of mountains. But for visiting, again, four-wheel drive gets you a long way. (laughs) Wow, amazing. Are you planning to do like public speaking, talk about Yemen while you're uh, after your visit? Or you're just doing um, media events? I was planning on doing media events, but let's see if any public speaking opportunities arise. That would be great, uh, Arwa. Um, You know, very, very nice that you were able to visit uh, family and uh, to go to uh, Yemen. And um, I wish you and Yemen all uh, the best. Uh, Again, uh, the name of uh, this interesting organization is... YemenFoundation.org uh, uh, You can visit them and see the wonderful things and the material they have. Uh, I want to thank you, Arwa, uh, for being on True Talk. Thank you for having me. Take care. You too. We were talking to Arwa Muqdad uh, about uh, Yemen and uh, I had the, actually I had an email. Let me read the email. Where is the email? 
Did I get an email? Text. Oh, <laughs> okay. About Prager University. U.S. stands for U.S. racist white people. No, we don't want to generalize. Again, thank you always for tuning to uh, True Talk. Um, I have a couple of interesting shows uh, planned uh, for next week and the week uh, after. I think on... Um, on August 10th, I'm going to be talking to an American uh, Egyptian who just published a very interesting book. Uh, I think she grew up in New York and she wrote a book about uh, New York and growing up uh, a Muslim and Arab and American and New Yorker. And the following week, uh, I think August 17, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Uh, Hatem Bazian. Uh, he's um, he teaches at Berkeley University uh, in San Francisco in California and he is an authority on Islamophobia so these shows are uh, planned inshallah God willing uh, usually I don't like to announce because something happens uh, with these things but anyways thank you so much for uh, supporting WMNF and thank you for supporting True Talk let's listen to a little bit of Omar Bashir that people like very much WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next.